Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Shelbyville Community Church on Facebook Live. Um, hey, my name is Brandon. If we um, haven't met before, um, I can't shake your hand right now as we're in a, uh, an empty building right now. But um, hey, I, I want to meet you at some point um, when all of this is over and we get to worship in person again. Um, but until then, um, listen, uh, we're not physically present, um, but, but we're, we're worshiping everywhere together. Um, and so this is awesome. So let's do this. Go ahead and stand up together, uh, just like you would as if you were uh, here in the church building now. Go ahead and stand up in your living rooms, in your kitchens, wherever you're huddled around, um, a TV screen or a computer. And uh, we're, we're going to spend the first part of our time just worshiping God because he's, he's worthy of it all. Um, he's, he's the one who saved us, who saves us, who provides for us, um, who's made a way for us to be with him uh, forever, um, w even past this lifetime. And so... Um, yeah, I'm going to pray. We're going to dig into um, worshiping him. So, Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your grace, your love um, in our lives. And, God, as you um, went um, the entire way to make a way for us, the ones who, who walked away from you, to be with you again, um, God, we, we, we say thank you first. And we choose to sing our affections and our gratitude uh, to you um, in this time. And so we welcome you um, into each one of our homes right now, into this place here. We acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge your goodness and your love. And God, we um, open our hearts and we open our minds for you to show us anything that you would want today. We are yours. Help us to be more like you, God. We worship you now. Amen. All right, church, let's sing this together. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign. We are here for you. We are here for you. Let your breath come from heaven, fill our hearts with your life. We are here for you. We are here for you. Sing to your hearts. To you our hearts are open, nothing here is hidden in you. Our one desire, you alone are holy, only you are worthy, God, let your fire fall down. Let our shouts be your anthem, your renown, fill the sky. Oh, we are here for you. We are here for you. Oh, so let your word, let your word move in power. Let what's dead come to life. We are here for you. Oh, we are here for you. To you, our hearts. To you, 
our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You are one desire. You alone are holy. Only you are worthy. God, let your fire fall down. Sing it again to our hearts. To you, our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You are one desire. You alone are holy. Only you are worthy. God, let your fire fall down. Let your fire fall down. Oh, we are here for you. welcomed in this place we welcome you with praise we welcome you with praise almighty god of love be welcomed in this place let every heart adore let every soul awake almighty god of love be welcomed in this place we welcome you with praise we welcome you with praise Almighty God of love, be welcomed in this place. We welcome you here to sing our praises to you. Because you are worthy of it all. Because you are the one sent your son to die for our sins oh you paid the price for us to be free now we are yours now we are yours you are on the throne and you never fail Church, we're going to um, sing this song. Um, it's, it's called um, You Keep Hope Alive. And this song is, um, it, it couldn't be any more fitting considering the season that we're in. And so this is a new song to us as a church. Uh, we've done it for a few weeks now. Let's sing this 
um, uh, with every affection that we can give our Heavenly Father because He really is. He is the hope that keeps us alive. Because He is alive, we are alive forever. And that is every reason to worship Him. So let's worship in that way. Days may be darkest, but your light is greater. You light our way, God, you light our way. When evil's rising, you're rising higher with power to save, with power to save. Sing it together, come on. You keep hope alive. You keep hope alive from the beginning to end. Your word never fails. You keep hope alive because you are alive. Jesus, you are alive. Death had a stronghold. Your life was stronger. Rose from the grave, rose up from the grave. When evil's rising, you're rising higher with power to save, with power to save. Oh, you keep hope alive. You keep hope alive from the beginning to end. Your word never fails. You keep hope alive because you are alive. There's hope in the morning, there's hope in the evening, there's hope because you're living, there's hope because you're breathing, there's hope in the breaking, there's hope in the sorrow, there's hope in this moment, my hope for tomorrow, hope in the morning, there's hope. In the evening there's hope Because you're living there's hope Because you're breathing there's hope In the breaking there's hope In the sorrow there's hope For this moment my hope And for tomorrow you keep hope alive You keep hope alive From the beginning to end your word it never fails you keep hope alive because you are alive jesus you are alive you keep hope alive you keep hope alive from the beginning to end your word it never fails you keep hope alive because you are alive, Jesus, you are alive. This morning, we're so grateful to uh, be with you uh, this morning. So we're asking this question this morning. We're asking, how do you face a crisis with peace 
and rest. How do you move forward in an environment of uncertainty with confidence and security? And so we've been in a series uh, called This Is Us, and we've actually kind of pivoted in that series just a little bit to answer those questions, to answer the questions, how am I going to get through this with peace and rest? And the answer is, we're going to pray our way through, and we're going to worship our way through. That's how you face a crisis with peace and rest. Here's the way that we articulate this. We say we want to be a people that pray with bold expectation and worship with great celebration in response to God's goodness. Now last week uh, we noted that uh, the disciples watch Jesus pray. They see the intimacy with which he approaches God, the way that he prays, and they come to him and they say, hey, would you teach us to pray like you do? We're not doing it right. And so Jesus uh, walks them through kind of a model for prayer. Uh, and what we didn't talk a lot about last week is the way, the kind of one of the postures that we want to have when it comes to prayer. We say we want to pray with bold expectation. There's a great story from the book of Acts, chapter 12. Uh, Peter has been arrested for being a Christian, he's in jail. John's brother James has already been arrested and killed. So the church begins to pray for Peter's release. So in response to the, of the prayers of God's people, an angel shows up uh, to, and, and begins to lead Peter supernaturally out of jail into freedom. This angel leads Peter past the guards. Uh, gates are opening all on their own. And Peter finds himself outside of prison miraculously because of this prayer meeting, the prayers of these folks. And so Peter then makes his way to the door where this prayer gathering is happening. And he knocks on the door and a servant girl named Rhoda comes to the door. Uh, she's afraid because they're kind of in an environment of persecution. So she doesn't open the door, but she asks who it is. And Peter says, look, it's me, Peter. And she recognizes his voice. But she's so excited that Peter is there and alive, she forgets to open the door. So she runs into the prayer meeting, leaves Peter outside, and tells everybody in this room that's praying, hey, Peter's outside, Peter's at the door. And you know what they say to her? Now remember, they're praying for his release. And they say, you're crazy, you're out of your mind. That can't be Peter. You know, hey, listen, you need to lay off the medicinal marijuana because I think you're seeing things out there. And finally, she convinces them, right, to come and open the door. They open the door, and there is Peter. And I love this story for two reasons. The first is um, this is one of the stories that makes me know that, God's, that the Bible is really God's Word because um, that it's true and reliable, because the authors never paint themselves as the hero um, in, in the Bible, but rather uh, as failures and as doubters. And that's not the way I would write a book if I were going to write it, right? Probably not you either. But secondly, sometimes I think we as Christians can be guilty of praying in a way that I would call like Christian atheist prayers, 
In other words, we're going to pray because God asks us to, but we're not going to really expect God to move or work or act because we're praying. And we're absolutely convinced that we need to pray with bold expectation every time that we pray because we believe that God always moves in response to prayer. Now, he may not move in the way that I want him to move, but he always moves in response to prayer. And this is one of the reasons we're calling you to grow in prayer today. So last week, we primarily said, look, we're going to pray our way through. This week, we want to focus a little bit more on worshiping, you know, our way through uh, this together. And uh, what I love about the prayer that we looked at last week is in many of the versions that we have You know, at the end, there's a statement of worship. So there's a transition. Jesus leads with prayer. And then in many versions, then we get this response of worship. And many of us know the words, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Right? So we're going to worship, you know, our way through it. Now listen, here's uh, what I think it's important that we understand. Worry and anxiety are indicators of of our need to worship. In other words, when I feel worried about something, when I feel anxious about something, that should be like a blinking red light on the dashboard of my life that I need to worship. Um, Because here's what we know. I mean, we all know this, right, about worry and anxiety, that worry and anxiety are both poor attempts to control the circumstances of our life. But we, we all know they're futile, that they don't work, but yet that's what we go to again and again and again. But it's in worship that we acknowledge that God is in control and that we can trust Him. So vitally important. So listen, worry is what happens when you meditate on your problems. Worry is what happens when you meditate on your problems. Anxiety is what happens when you meditate on the things that threaten peace. Well, this could happen or this might happen, right? Uh, But worship is what happens, or at least worship that's properly aimed. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, Worship is when we meditate on God. And so what happens is when we say to him, hey, we trust you and we know that you're in control, right? And this is how peace and joy come because as we magnify God, as God gets bigger in our lives, our problems, our worries, our anxieties shrink in comparison, right? So today we're going to learn about worship through a psalm. Now, most of you know this, but a psalm was actually ancient Israel's hymn book. So when they said, hey, church, we're going to open up our hymnals and sing, they would open up to the psalms. And so this is Israel's hymn book, and we're going to look at a psalm that is so instructive. It's really a central psalm to help us understand worship, particularly out of the Old Testament. It's Psalm 95, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it, then we'll just make some observations together. So Psalm 95, verses uh, 1 through 11. Come, let us sing for joy to, to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. 
In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter into my rest. Now what's so interesting about this psalm is you get this amazing statement of worship and joy. And then, I mean, it's weird, right? The psalm seems to take a hard right, even kind of a U-turn. And then it goes into this warning about hard-heartedness and um, not being able to enter into God's rest because of a hard heart. And we're going to talk about that later. So I want you to kind of set aside that difference in tone in this psalm right now. We will come back to that. But here's a couple of things I want to point out from this psalm. First, the author clearly tells us that worship is holistic. In other words, it involves our emotions. So you look at verse 1, for example, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. There's that emotional piece, right? But also note, like in verse 6, for example, it involves our will, surrendering to God, taking a posture of submission to him in verse 6 come let us bow down let us kneel this is surrender right so it involves our will and then also it involves our mind it involves our mind right he he talks about the mind in verse 8 so this is precisely because worship is so holistic it involves every part of us our heart our will our mind uh, this is one of the reasons worship is so transformative, why it's so powerful and so healing in our lives. And so what we want to say, the way we want to define worship this morning is we want to define it this way. Worship is a passionate response to what we value the most. Now, we're all worshipers, regardless of what way we may believe about God, we worship what we think will bring us life. It could be a spouse, it could be possessions, it could be children, it could be success, it could be money, it could be health, it could be sex, it could be drugs, it could be anything. But the question this morning is not whether we will worship, it's what will we worship, right? And the psalmist is very clear that only God is worthy of our ultimate worship. In fact, look at how he describes it. Verse 3, he says, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. He made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So here he's appealing to God's uh, just omnipotent, his, his unique power that no other God, no, nothing else has in creation. But then he gives a second reason why God alone is worthy of our worship. Look at verse 6. He says, well, he's our God and we're the people under his care. He's the great 
shepherd and he leads us and he guides us and he he cares for us and uh and i'll just say this the difference between a limp along kind of life you know uh, a just getting by or just pushing through kind of life and a life of wonder and awe and joy the difference is worship every time all day long what you worship makes all the difference and the psalmist here says right you can worship the god who's worthy of your worship who's above every other thing or you can worship inferior things inferior gods and here's what he would want us to know when you worship inferior gods it distorts and warps everything in your life because we always become like what we worship now often these gods are represented by the deepest needs or the deepest desires of our heart so what i'm telling you is that every single person in the world puts their hope in something they worship what they believe will bring them life so for example this is revealed in statements like this Well, if I had that, or I had this, then I'd be happy. Or, if I had her, then I'd be fulfilled. If I had him, then I'd be complete. If I'd accomplished this, then my life would have had meaning. See, what I need us to hear is that whatever we worship, that thing begins to drive our lives. It taints our every single motive. Our idols come to completely control us, and we don't even recognize it. Uh, Becky Pippert says it this way. She says, whatever controls us is Lord. Those who seek power are controlled by that power. The person who seeks acceptance will be controlled by those they need acceptance from. But one thing is certain, she writes, we do not control ourselves we are always controlled by the lord of our lives here's really what she's saying she's saying that when you and i get freaked out because we don't have something our relationship to that thing is one of worship So person A gets freaked out over love, uh, but not money, right? Person B gets freaked out over money and not love. So here's what I'm saying. Why do some people get so freaked out when they break up? While other people don't get freaked out when they break up, but they freak out when something goes south or goes wrong with their money, right? And then person C may be freaked out by something else entirely, Again, it could be control, it could be health, it could be success, a child, a a spouse, uh, health, anything. So here's the question for the morning. What is it that freaks you out? Whatever that is, that is more than likely the thing that you have a relationship of worship with. See, and the Bible says, and it says this over and over and over again, so profoundly, so powerfully, that our ultimate problem is almost always found in what we worship. Every time. It is only when God is your deepest desire that you will have found that you never need to freak out again. 
because the Psalms say things like this, right? Because His love is beautiful and it's unconditional. And He doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who He is. And, and the same psalmist would say, his love is unfailing. It never fails. The New Testament writer would say, his love, there's nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So he's worthy of worship because of his love. But not only that, the psalmist would say, his voice is pure. You know, and his guidance is priceless. And his mercies are brand new every single morning. His nature is eternal and his acceptance is absolute and he approaches us not as the God of up there or out there but as a shepherd who leads and guides and cares for us as a shepherd would for his very own flock so think of it this way when you have God's acceptance never again will you be freaked out by criticism or by failure and I would say it this way, if you're constantly anxious or freaking out, analyze that. What are the things that are constantly making you anxious or freaking you out? And then turn from a relationship of worship with those things and aim that worship back at God. Because He is the only source of mercy and grace and help and peace and rest, right? And this is where and why deep healing and transformation occur in worship. In fact, the New Testament says this as well. I want us to look at a verse, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I want you to notice as we're working our way through this passage that Paul is here using the language of worship. Look what he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, so again, he's pointing out that um, God is the only one worthy of our ultimate wor worship because of his mercy. Now he spent the last three chapters of the book of Romans uh, teasing out God's mercy. And he says, okay, so here's all the things God has done for you. Here's how you can respond to him. You offer your bodies as living sacrifices to him. This is sacrifice is the language of worship, right? Then he goes on to say, holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual act of worship. And here it is. He says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to attest and approve God's, what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So one part of what worship is, is transformation, healing, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to Him every single day. And it's only then that Paul says we will know God's good and pleasing will, right? That we'll, we'll be in touch with that because we'll be in touch with His heart. So part of what worship is, is surrender. It's just learning how to aim my worship when I'm worshiping inferior things back to Him. So that's what I'm going to ask us to do in the next few moments, to just rescue us from the tyranny of our idols. So let's worship one more time together.
clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze if that's the measure you must take to crush the idols and jerk the pews and all the decorations too until the congregation's few then have revival and tell your friends that this is where the party ends until you're broken for your sins you can't be social and seek the lord and wait for what he has in store and know that great is your reward so just be hopeful because you can you can sing all you want to Yes, you can. You can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Worship is more than song. take a break from all the plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper beg him please to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister Shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open. Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken. Because you can. You can sing all you want to. Yes, you can. You can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Oh, worship is more than a song. We must now worship something that's not even worth it. Clear the stage, oh, make some space for the one who deserves it. And anything I put before my God is an idol and anything I want with all my heart is an idol and anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol Anything that I give all my love is an idol. 
Cause I can sing all I want to. Yes, I can. Sing all I want to. We can sing all we want to. sing all we want to and still get it wrong. Worship is more than song. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you with compassion, love and power. Come ye thirsty to the fountain, Come and find his goodness here. True belief and true repentance and every grace that brings you near. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me as his own. In the arms of my Savior, there is life forevermore. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. Until you're better, you will never come at all. So I will, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me as his own. And in the arms of my Savior, life forevermore. You are life forevermore. There's no one else for me. No
no one else for me. I won't look back. I won't look back. There's no one else for me. No one else for me. I won't look back. I won't look back. There's no one else for me. There's no one else for me. I won't look back. Listen, when God is your ultimate object of worship, there is nothing that can destroy you or break you. Absolutely nothing, right? Worship properly aimed toward God rescues us from frailty and impotence in the face of disaster every single time, right? What we need to understand is that God is the only source that will satisfy us when we seek Him, but also forgive us when, he, when we fail Him. Because your idols, your other gods, they will never do that for you, right? Uh, if you live for achievement, for example, and you fail that God, it will never forgive you and you will always hate yourself. If you live for love or romance and you let that God down, it will always leave you in a state of desire, always wanting more and never satisfied. This is why, precisely why, people have affairs or cheat, because their idols demand it. Because our idols never satisfy us, at least not in the way that we hope or want them to. If you live for family or children, one day those kids will grow up and they will leave and they are supposed to. Your family, no matter how healthy it may be, right, will hurt and disappoint you. And for, for some of us, this has been profoundly so. But you know what? You will begin to hate those family members who fail and disappoint your idea of what family should be. And the psalmist says something so important here. He reminds us that our Heavenly Father is a shepherding God. 
that he shepherds us as his flock, that he cares for his sheep. And one thing I know is that your idols will never care for you. They will become tyrants in your life. But we serve a God who demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. In other words, while we were going our own way and doing our own thing and making it up as we go along and either actively or passively rejecting him, Christ died for us, right? And your idols will never, ever do that. This is why worshiping God is the ultimate need of your heart and your life. Nothing is more important than what you worship. Now, if worship is that important, how do you grow in it? I mean, what are the ingredients? What's the, what's the uh, secret sauce, if you will, for worship? I'd like to suggest three things. But I want to give credit where credit's due. Years ago, I listened to Pastor Tim Keller do a message on Psalm 95 as he talked about worship. And the outline I'm about to give is a little different, but uh, it's very similar. And I just want to give credit where credit is due. I heard this sermon years ago. I've never forgotten his outline. I think it was so insightful. So the psalmist here points us to three things, and the first one is this, and it's so obvious, the first ingredient is so obvious you could miss it, and it's community, community. Uh, I want you to notice that all the pronouns in this song are plural. Let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him. All the pronouns are plural. This is a collective call of all of God's people to worship, right? What he's saying is, look, you can't worship alone. And you may be asking the question, right? How do you get community in a time of isolation? It's a great question. But the answer is that we're doing it together right now in this moment. See, we frame this season so interesting, as one of social distancing, but it's really not. This is a season of physical distancing, but we still have all kinds of opportunities to be social with one another. We're doing it together this morning. Anytime you're online, any kind of media platform, you are being social. And so the good news is even though we can't gather together for a season in this window of history, we can still be social. We can still gather together and communally worship our God together. But the psalmist makes it clear that it's meant to, worship is meant to be a communal activity. So that's the first uh, ingredient that you need to worship. And the second one is so important, especially in our day and in our age, and it's this. You need truth to be able to worship. Truth now think about this for a moment as you think about this psalm. How does the psalmist know that God is the great king over all gods? How does the psalmist know that God created everything? How does he know that the sea and the mountains belong to him and him alone? How does the psalmist know that God is a great shepherd that cares for and loves his community? 
right? Loves his people. Well, I mean, does the psalmist do this? Does the psalmist say it this way? Well, you know, when I think of God, I like to think of God as a shepherd. Or, hey, well, when I think of God, I like to think of God as a great king. No, he doesn't do that at all. The psalmist is submitted to the revelation of God that was put forth through Moses and the prophets, through the Torah, through Old Testament. He submitted to the way that they revealed God and talked about God. He submitted to the way that God has revealed himself. And this is so important when you're talking about worship. Because God gets to tell us who he is. We don't get to decide who God is. And we all understand this. We all live this already. For example... You could uh, be be in a conversation about me, for example, right? And you could say, well, you know, I like to think of Pastor Brad as someone whose favorite movie is Anne of Green Gables, right? Or you could say something like, well, you know, when I think about Pastor Brad, I like to think of him as being a ballerina and being, you know, in the ballet. And others of you might say, you know, when I think of Pastor Brad, I like to think of him as a lover of cats, and not dogs. And see, in, in saying all of those things, you would be proving that you don't know me at all. See, all of us understand that I get to define what I like and don't like who I am. You don't get to decide that for me. Now, if that's true for you and I, how much more should that be true of God? See, we have to worship a, a, a God of, of truth. And it's so important that we get this, right? Just this week, I read an article um, on Miley Cyrus talking about why she left her church. Now, essentially, here's what she said. She said, I wanted to be able to define God for myself. In other words, she, she said, hey, I want to kind of be able to pick and choose the kind of God that I would like to serve. And listen, I'm not picking on Miley Cyrus. I think that this is a common thought in our culture, in our day, in our age. I mean, we are so arrogant as to assume that we get to define God. Listen, worship begins in allowing God to define himself. It begins on his terms, not ours, not mine and not yours. It begins on his, right? But in our day, it's very common to hear someone say something like, you know, I want to put together an understanding of God that suits me. Or you might hear people say something like this, I don't want to force religion on my children. I want them to decide for themselves who God is. I mean, they're bright. They'll figure it out. And this is simply not true. Your children may be bright. All right? They may be. But they are like all of us. Their basic nature the same, is the same as yours and the same of mine, is to want to create a God in their image, right? To figure it out as they go, to be in control of their own life and do and say what they want to do. 
See? And it gets even worse. Because a God that I conjure up, right? A God in my making, a God I conjure up in my own imagination and constructed in my own image, that God is not a living God. That's not even real. And so here's what I need us to see. That God is a figment of your imagination and nothing more. And furthermore, you will never worship a God like that. You can't. Because part of worship is transformation. We've already seen that together, right? Allowing God to speak into your life. Allowing God to speak truth to you. Allowing God to disagree with you. Allowing God to call you out. And a God of your own making will never do that. That God will agree with whatever it is that you want to do, right? Listen, if you and I aren't willing to submit to God's revelation of Himself found in His Word, you and I will never be able to worship because a God designed in your mind or mine isn't even real in the first place. And further, when people create their own gods cafeteria style, right? It isolates them from community. Think about this for a moment. We've already said that community is one of the ingredients we need for worship. But yet when I conjure, see, when God's people come together, they come together under a common understanding of Jesus and who he said he was. But if we're coming together and everybody's constructing this different God in their own minds, they can't worship together. Worship in that case becomes individual instead of communal. It's devastating to community because there's no basis to bring people together. So, first ingredient, we need community. Second ingredient to worship, we need truth. And the third ingredient is this, uh, that we need, uh, we need Jesus. We need the Sabbath rest of Jesus. I want you to notice something in this psalm. The psalmist says repeatedly that the purpose of worship is to come into God's presence, right? Worship must occur. It invites the presence of God. And this is exactly what makes worship, besides the fact that it's holistic, so transformative and so healing because we do it in the very presence of God. And yet, Jesus tells us very plainly in the New Testament that no one can come into God's presence except through Him. And even in Psalm 95, it's so interesting. It starts, it begins with this amazing call to worship. We addressed this earlier, right? The elephant in the room. And then it takes this hard right, really this U-turn, and it begins to warn God's people about hard-heartedness. And he says that when people approach God with hard hearts, it always kindles God's anger, right? Listen, worship is what rescues us from hard-heartedness and cynicism. Worship is what keeps your heart and mind soft and moldable to God in a world where it's so easy to get hard-hearted and dispassionate, right? And just cynical and resentful. 
It's so important that we get this right. We're used to thinking of our hearts as kind of stable and static and nothing could be further from the truth. This is why we need a rhythm of worship in our lives every single day. Because every day my heart either gets a little softer toward God or it gets a little bit harder. And a discipline of worship points me to softness and joy and wonder and awe. Only worship can do that. Only worship. So he warns us, right, not to go down that road. Then he reminds them that hard-heartedness will never allow people to rest in God, to find God's rest. They'll never be able to find any kind of rest in him because you can only rest in his presence. You can only rest in the knowledge that his eyes are fixed on you, right? So he would say there is no rest apart from God's presence. Now, this is where it gets super fascinating. Because what happens is the book of Hebrews quotes from this psalm, Psalm 95, this psalm we've been ruminating in, right? And marinating in together. And the book of Hebrews, the author, the New Testament, quotes this psalm. And he quotes it to prove that there is still a rest for God's people that is found only in the person of Jesus. The book of Hebrews is such an amazing book. By the way, we're going to study the book of Hebrews at some point in our future. But he goes and he says, hey, you know, because Jesus is just supreme. He's supreme over creation. He's supreme over angels. He's supreme over Moses. He's supreme over the law. Over and over and over and again, he's just arguing, Jesus is it. Jesus is everything. Jesus is supreme. He is so above us. He is so over us, right? And he argues that Jesus is the only way to enter into God's rest. This is Hebrews chapter 4. You can study this. You can read this for yourself. In fact, I would encourage you to do so. And furthermore, he argues that our rest is no longer found. We're under a new covenant, not an old covenant, right? That our rest is no longer found in a day of the week, but that our Sabbath rest is found in the person of Jesus. It's not in a day anymore. It's through a relationship with an individual, a a person, and that Jesus himself is now our Sabbath rest rest. And here's how he concludes his argument. This is so cool. We're going to look at Hebrews 4 chapters 14 and through 16 together. Here's what he says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly, firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. And here's the call. Listen to what he says. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. We asked the question earlier, right? How do you navigate an environment of uncertainty? You do it with the confidence and security given to us by our Jesus. We approach confidently, even in uncertain times, 
He says, let's approach the throne of grace with, con- the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you know what Jonah says about God's grace? He says, hey, those who cling to worthless idols, lesser gods, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But when we approach and we aim our worship toward Jesus, we receive mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. Would any of you agree that this is a time of great need? Not just in our country, not just in our county or in our state, but really all over the world. So this is an invitation that we can all take seriously. And what I love about this promise is that a high priest, because he calls Jesus our high priest now under the old covenant, right? The high priest was one who made atonement for the sins of his people. In other words, he was responsible to make sure that their sins were covered and paid for. And the New Testament is reminding us here that before he does anything else, This is what Jesus does for us. Through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he makes it possible for all of us to receive the forgiveness of sins so that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. But it's not confidence in ourselves or our own works or our own makings. It's confidence in God's Jesus' work on our behalf. So because he's our priest, we can come to him and we can receive grace and mercy to help us in a time of need. Now listen, it's so important that you understand the Sabbath rest of Jesus, gospel-centered rest, how the good news of Jesus so powerfully transforms worship. Because if you don't understand gospel rest, If you don't understand the good news of Jesus, that he lived, that he died, and that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day for the forgiveness of sins, then worship for you is just going to become one more duty, one more thing you have to do, one more thing God asks you to do that you've got to check off so that God will be pleased with you or God will like you more. And what we're arguing is that worship isn't a have to. It's not a checklist. It's a get to. And it's Jesus-centered and it's focused on Him. And that as Jesus gets bigger, our problems, our anxieties, our worries, they all shrink. They all begin to pale in comparison. That there is an inverse relationship between worshiping Jesus and things like worry and anger. And we believe that even though we're all worshipers, right, that we all worship something, the question again isn't what, whether I will worship, it's what I will worship. We believe that worship properly aimed at God can heal and transform your heart And bring a life that is filled with wonder and joy and awe. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have a a moment where I'm going to tell us together how we're going to respond together uh, together today in worship. And then 
um, Pastor Brandon's going to, you know, close us out uh, with more worship. But let me pray for us first. Heavenly Father, God, would you remind us that, that it's, God, our biggest problem, our biggest problem is found in what we worship. And that we need to properly aim, we need to transfer our worship from inferior things. Things that will ultimately only, only hold us captive and uh, will become tyrants in our lives if we don't obey them. And God, remind us today that we can exchange all of that for help and grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. So we give thanks and we give praise and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, during this time, you know, I want to invite you to uh, worship the Lord just with your giving, just with your giving. You know, as we get ready to receive our tithes and offerings in our service here, you know, I know that many, many of you have begun already to give online. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being faithful. You know, God's Word says it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. And so we want to thank those of you who've done that. Others of you have reached out to me, many of our staff members, and just asked what you can do to help the church during this time. And to be honest with you, I expect our expenses to go up during this crisis, not down. You know, we're going to have to invest in additional technology to continue to function the way that we are this morning. I expect that as this crisis continues, that um, the asks for help that we're going to get are only going to increase. In other words, I'm saying we're going to have more of an opportunity to come alongside people and be the disciple-making church that we want to be that brings hope and healing you know, to our community, right? We know that others of you have uh, begun to mail in your checks or your bank draft orders, even though you're not coming on Sunday morning. Again, we just really want to say thank you. But we believe that giving is a vital form of worship. That even in an environment of need, it's important to your spiritual life and growth and your development to give. So I want to challenge you. Maybe you've never given before. Maybe you've grown here. Maybe you've been challenged here. Maybe you've been loved here. But you've never faithfully worshipped through giving. Listen, I would say the current economic environment is the perfect time to begin to give regularly and faithfully by faith. And it doesn't even have to be a lot. I would challenge you. You know, maybe there's a lot of uncertainty around your finances right now. I get it. This is a perfect opportunity to prayerfully consider stepping out in faith, right? Maybe you start with $1 online. Maybe you start with $5. Maybe you start with $10. Again, the amount is far less important than the fact that you're beginning, you're taking a baby step to begin to worship God by giving regularly. Giving is a fantastic way to approach God and say, God, in light of all that you've given to me, I want to come before you and offer just a small portion of that back to you. God, I'm just, I'm just giving back to you what you have so graciously and so over the top given to me in the first place. Right? That's what worship is. 
So uh, it's just giving is yet another way God asks us to grow. All of us, right? And in a time like this, you don't want to shut him out. So I want to just thank you for being faithful stewards. I want to pray for us. Um, And then we're going to worship our God together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you are a God who's never done anything but give. You give and you give and you give and you ask us to give like you. So God, help us be faithful. Help giving to be yet another one of the amazing ways that we grow in our worship of you. So God, we aim our worship away from our money and away from our finances today, and we aim our worship back to you. Would you heal us? Would you restore us? Would you hem us in with your great love? Remind us in these next few moments, God, that your eyes are fixed on us, your affections are for us, and that you paid it all. You paid it all for us. So we give you praise and thanks, and we do it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.
choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, honor, glorify, glorify the name of all names. And nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, to glorify, by the name of all names, then nothing can stand against. paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Father, thank you for washing us white as snow. Thank you for adopting us into your family. God, we choose to worship you with our lives. We choose to place our attention, our focus, our eyes on you. And God, we choose to um, yeah, yeah, be uh, practicing wise precaution and honoring you in the way that we're loving one another in this season. But God, um, we choose to fix our eyes on you. God, would you help us with that? It's so easy to get distracted and to focus on the could-be's So, Father, would you help us to stay focused on you, your consistency, your promises, your goodness. We are yours, and we worship you with our lives. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, before I hop off here, um, we are at the end of our service, but before I hop off here, I want to do one more thing, and that is this. Um, I I, want to challenge you to invite all of your friends and family to our Easter services. So here's what's kind of cool. We've done three Easter services 
um, in years past because we just didn't have the space um, to, to bring everybody in that attends usually on Easter services and just two. We'd be way over fire code. And so we added that Saturday night service. Well, here's the deal. We're not limited to space now that we're gathering and worshiping online in the season. Yet one of the, the, the uh, another way that God is working good through this. Um, and, and here's what's really cool as well. There are people joining our church services who wouldn't dare set foot in a church building. There are people um, in our um, uh, watching and hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, who've never been to church before or who, are, or who have never taken God seriously. So we're taking, we're taking full advantage of the fact that we have a very unique, different opportunity ahead of us next weekend. And our challenge to you is invite all of your friends and family to, uh, uh, to and, and host a watch party on Facebook Live. We're going to have our Easter services, not on Saturday night, at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Um, so invite them all. And we've even created a way where if anybody does choose to, to put their faith and trust in Jesus, um, uh, there's going to be a link in the chat. They just have to click on it, put in their information, and within hours, someone is contacting them with their next steps. And so we have an awesome, unique... Um, uh, opportunity, therefore challenge to you um, this coming weekend. And we've added a service. You've probably already seen it um, advertised on social media if you follow us as a church. That is this Friday. Um, we are having a Good Friday service uh, at 7 p.m. And what we'd encourage you to do is, uh, I know some people are rationing food, some people are planning um, a grocery uh, pickup and all of that. Um, get some form of juice and some form of cracker even if it seems way far-fetched, we're going to take communion together as a church on Friday evening at 7 p.m. as we remember what Jesus did for us. Um, so uh, that's it. Start inviting people now. Um, share uh, both invites, uh, Easter and Good Friday services online like crazy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. God bless. Love you guys a ton.